Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today, today, today is Thursday at some point in August in the year of our Lord, 2022. So uh, yesterday, we started the whole banana on the Crusades and began by going all the way back, kind of, to the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the collapse of chaos into the Western Roman Empire and uh, the East basically standing strong. We looked at the rise of Islam and the conquering of all these areas in the West and some in the East. We looked at uh, the fact that there were these guys called the Normans that popped in. We looked at the fact that there was a couple Muslim leaders who started to change the rules by, uh, say, retaking or by taking Jerusalem from the Christians. Uh, and then you get this mad Hakim, uh, Al-Hakim, who uh, began to mistreat, kill Christians, all of this. So you see all these different divisions coming up. And we're going to get into a couple new characters here that are really going to blow the roof off the thing. But before we do i got to tell you, uh, with all of my heart, my most sincere thanks for you guys listening to the show, watching the show, telling your friends to listen. Uh, we got a notice the other day. We were poking around, and you guys, this is hilarious. It's, it's a good news, a great news, but then there's kind of a funny news, too. We are officially in the top 2% of all podcasts with our listener base, which is just insane to me. Um, and, and that's because of you uh, spreading the word. There's a billion people doing better things than this, but they don't have people out there. No, Carrie doesn't agree. That's because this is her primary source of income. Uh, Carrie receives um, a sandwich about every two weeks as part of her salary. The other times, she pays for the sandwiches. Seems a good deal to me. Yeah, I'm happy with it. But uh, all kidding aside, guys, thank you so much with all of my heart. I love doing this. And the more listeners we get, the more we move on to real sponsors as opposed to our sponsor now. Heinz Ketchup. Red liquidy goodness that goes on stuff. Buy one today. Uh, so, I'm surprised we haven't heard from Heinz yet. I am too, because with 14,000 downloads a week, that's what we average, which is incredible. But here's the funny thing I got to tell you. <clears throat> so, naturally, we look. What would it take to get to 1%? About 200,000 downloads a week. <laughs> so, the gap between 2% and 1% is, I believe the phrase is, epic. <clears throat> Oh, my gosh. Sorry for all the coughing. That's why we don't have 200,000. <laughs> you know, one thing I thought is, what if uh, a cannabis company wants us wants to uh, sponsor us? <laughs> I don't think I would object to any sponsors. Because it's not like, again, you know, here's the rules. If we get money from this, if we ever do, we're not taking any. It's going to the school, right? But it is funny to think about, right? Uh, how did your school get free tuition for everyone? Weed. <laughs> Smoke a doobie for Christ. Spark one up and get laced. We could have all kinds of slow. 
<laughs> so anyway, should we get back to the Crusades? Yes. Yes. Oh, talking about them not having one. I don't want to have another crusade. But great beginning. Great beginning. You think so? Yeah. I'm so glad. I get insecure because I don't know. And, and and it's funny. I find this fascinating. And uh, I always tell Carrie, when it's not about Jesus specifically, I get a little insecure. The, you know, you feel folks are turning into hopefully learn about Christ. But this is a big part of who we are as Christians. And 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 it's, some of it is my kind of counterpunch to this thing where, like, uh, and who did this? And I hate doing this because it mentions politicians but a guy put up a, a, a thing and this is not a christian about how bill clinton and barack obama both referred to the horrors of the christians during the crusade and it's like please you know yes christians did horrible things so did muslim second maybe third crusade were very easily defendable uh morally um the Children's Crusade? I'm thinking we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but on the positive side, they never got to the Middle East. All those kids died before they they never really got to a crusade. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. And, you know, again, a secular historian uh, always, uh, he pointed this out, right? And he was like, Muslims particularly in, in the Middle East now, are trained to think of the Crusades as this horror inflicted on Islam. Most Islam really didn't notice. Uh, they were aware of the fact that Mongols were slaughtering them on the other side of their empire like it was a full-time job. Uh, it has become a political tool uh, to prop up anti-Western sentiment. Uh, and again, not to say that Christians were faultless or that this was a great thing. It's just, I hope you're hearing, this was a natural consequence of people's mad quest for power. Um, yeah. So be this as it may, we are now at the beginning of the 11th century, right? The year uh, 1000. And as a side note, in the Christian world, what you're starting to notice is real theological and cultural differences emerging between the West and the Byzantines, okay? Uh, suddenly, they're looking less and less alike, both physically with their language and even with the way they do Christianity. Okay? And this is going to become huge in just a few minutes for us. But we got to introduce almost the equivalent to the Normans on the Muslim side. Remember, we talked about the Normans. They were the Vikings who settled in France. You have to say France, Gary. You have to say France. 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 And uh, proceeded to conquer everybody, right? And just raid, pillage, take, all this kind of stuff. Now, what you're going to get coming from the East is a tornado in these steppe warriors called the Seljuks, okay? These were Turks from Central Asia, uh, and they swept in and began to conquer the Muslim world. Uh, and what we're going to see is this. A pattern begins to emerge, and this is my opinion, of Christians start to regain territory in Western Europe, 
Why? Because Islamic unity in the West has collapsed. So now the Christians start retaking some of the stuff they lost. In the East, that unity of the Eastern Empire is still strong. However, steppe warriors enter the picture, and it doesn't matter how strong the East is, they're going to lose. Okay, and these folks, uh, well, anyway, so Christians are regaining territory in the Western part of Europe and they're losing it in the East. As Western un Islamic unity collapsed, Western Christian forces prevailed. In the East, this mighty force called the Seljuk Turks rose up, united Islam, and began taking a lot of territory in the East. We have to pause here to talk about steppe warriors. This is a phenomenon, Huns, Seljuks, Mongols. What are steppe warriors? We need to know this. This is very important. Steppe warriors uh, are people who are, you know, lived in the steppe, and that steppe is a hard place to live. Um, and the people who live there end up, when united, being basically unstoppable. Uh, you may have read, the only thing that could stop a Mongol army is a bigger Mongol army. And it's the same with the Seljuk Turks and the Huns. Every once in a while, a leader rises up in these steppe societies and begins uniting all these disparate steppe tribes under one banner. And when that happens, they are unstoppable. What is it? Dan Carlin, I, I love this image. He always says, step warriors uniting and invading is the equivalent of a pro team playing a high school team. These step warriors know warfare on a level no one else does. And they're tough. They're hard, hungry people. There are stories of step warriors taking three-year-old boys and girls and tying them to sheep and teaching them to shoot their bow and arrow, uh, hit a bird out of the sky, right? The, the goal was you make the most athletic, lean human you can, and then you teach them to work together. Is this making sense? Okay, whenever you hear of step warriors uniting, millions die. Okay. And that's a fact. Uh, so this is one of those times. The first ones you may be familiar with, the first time where steppe warriors united and blew out of Asia and started wiping everybody out was the Huns. Okay, And the Huns stopped the Romans in their tracks to, to give you a sense of things when Romans were very powerful. You also hopefully have heard of the Mongols who created the largest empire in the history of the world. Um, well, here's one you probably didn't hear of because everybody was teaching the wrong thing about the Crusades. The Seljuk Turks. These guys are between the Huns and the Mongols, and they were unstoppable. They, they were Muslims who conquered the whole Muslim world in the East and then started going after the Christian ones. Um, and this is really important for you to know, the Seljuk Turks. Okay, so uh, I don't know how to pronounce these names. I'm guessing Turgra, okay, T-U-G-H-R, 
UL. He was the one, and we don't know a ton about him, but we know he uh, united the steppe warriors, the Seljuks, and that's why they started leaving. So they, they swept out of Turkey and they conquered Persia, which we now call Iran. They invaded Armenia and Iraq. And in 1055, they conquered Baghdad, the largest city in the world at that point that we knew of outside of Asia, right? Uh, <clears throat> and when you think of Baghdad, don't think of Baghdad now. Uh, think of Baghdad like New York City would be now. I don't know. It was the center of art, of literature, of music, of mathematics. It was a beautiful, amazing city of unspeakable size. And the Seljuks conquered it pretty easily. And so that's in the east. Now you've got this pressure. Again, here's the Western Roman Empire. He's the eastern. And now you've got this pressure ugh, coming this way. And anytime steppe warriors emerge and start conquering, the people flee in the opposite direction. And so you always get warning that they're coming, right? Like it, when, when the Huns invaded, uh, one of the, the ways the Roman figured out was when, now get this, the Germanic tribes were running. And they were running into Rome away from someone else. And that's when the Romans knew they were going to have their hands full. When someone was making the Germanic tribes flee, we got trouble. Okay? So that's the east. You've got these Seljuk Turks rising up and taking over. What do you got going on in the west? Well, the Normans. Uh, and this guy named Robert, and again, I don't know how to speak French. G-U-I-S-C-A-R-D. I think it's Gisard, okay, or Gisard. Robert, uh, this Norman, decided to conquer southern Italy. And you're like, wait, isn't he a Christian? Yeah, and he's conquering Christian lands? <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, he sided with Muslims against Muslims. He sided with Muslims against Byzantines. He sided with Byzantines against Muslims. He attacked and took a papal territory at one point. He allied with whoever would ally with him, and he conquered where he wanted to, he tried to conquer wherever he wanted to try. And he is going to, for the next 31 years, be a pain in everyone's butt. So in the West, You've got this Norman army, and in the east, you've got the Seljuk Turks. And as you can see, the pressure is going toward the center. So how did the center respond to all this pressure? Oh, they started hating each other, right? Which is the rational response, yeah? We get to an extremely important year in church history, the first break in Christianity, Okay, and when did it happen? 1054. Pope Leo IX excommunicated the Byzantine patriarch. This is what's called the Great Schism. And when we say great, again, we don't mean, woohoo, this is great. We mean, holy crap, this is huge. For the first time, Christianity divided into two churches that we now call Roman Catholic or, or, and Orthodox. Okay? Yeah? The Great Schism came about due to a complex mix of religious disagreements and political conflicts. So I'm going to run through some of them. One of the many religious disagreements between the Western Roman and Eastern Byzantine branches of the church had to do with whether or not you could use unleavened bread for the sacrament of communion. The West supported the practice. The East did not. And you're like, well, wait, we're West and we only use unleavened bread. I know. They were right. Yeah. 
Other objects of religious dispute include the exact wording of the Nicene Creed. This is called the filioque controversy. Filio means uh, the sun, and que means and. So in Latin, when you want to say and something, you put and at the end of the word. So filioque is and the sun, even though it would be literally translated the sun and. Yeah? <clears throat> What's that controversy? Well, in the Creed, we say, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. The Eastern Church didn't say, and the Son, we did. Thus, the filioque controversy. Is that a huge theological point? No. Uh, again, the theology was the excuse, not the cause. Um, these religious disagreements were made much worse by a variety of political disagreements, <laughs> particularly about the power of Rome. For the church at that point, uh, as the Romans saw it, the practice is the bishop of Rome is the pope, and he has pride of place among all other patriarchs. Uh, the Eastern church disagreed. Um, how did I type it? Rome believed that the pope should have authority over all patriarchs. Constantinople disagreed. Each church recognized their own leaders. So all of this led to the Western church excommunicating the entire Eastern church. And the Eastern church said, no, 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 no. We excommunicate you. And uh, so then their patriarch excommunicated Pope Leo III and the Roman church with him. This is why when you go to an Orthodox church, uh, Rome says you can receive communion there. They say you can't. Okay? Uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, this is tough. This is tough. It's hard to explain well, because what we're going to see is a little bit later, um, the wound that has not healed yet. Uh, Western Catholics, Romans, are going to be invited into Constantinople on their way to a, a crusade and then rape and pillage and destroy. Um, it was one of the worst things we did as Catholics. And that's really, as I understand it, why we're all still ticked at each other. Uh, you may remember when Pope John Paul II uh, went to kind of make a gesture of peace, he went to Greece, Greece to meet with the Orthodox patriarch there, and the Orthodox threw rocks and poo at him. They're still ticked about Constantinople, uh, and we can get into that later. But it's not really a theological dispute. But over time, what you've seen is a few things. So uh, you may, you know, obviously, I think you know, most Roman Catholic priests don't marry. That's the norm. Some do, some can, uh, particularly our brothers who convert from Anglican uh, churches and become Roman Catholic priests. Um, why did Pope Benedict allow that? Well, because celibacy is what we call a discipline, not a dogma. It's, it's forgive this phrase, just a discipline. Uh, we've piled theology on top of that. But all that served to do was muddle this core issue, Orthodox priest Mary. Uh, a lot of people are of the mind that Pope Benedict opened the door to married priests so that we would have more ability to be one again with the East, because there really isn't a theology stopping us anymore.
Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. So this division in 1054 was huge. I don't know if anyone saw it lasting this long. I really don't. Uh, nothing I've read led me to believe that anyone involved thought anything would happen except, well, we'll reconcile. They never did. Um, there you are. So that's 1056. Now, in the meantime, those Seljuk Turks, they've now hit the Byzantine Empire. They invaded, and I do love this word, this was from that U of M history department, quote, invaded and savaged an Armenian town under Byzantine protection, okay, in Byzantine territory. So most of the, at this point, most of the Muslims laid off the Byzantines because it didn't go well. The Seljuks were like, yeah, we can do this, and they did. Okay, now over on the west, we're back to the west. How we doing? Yeah, mm -hmm. Christian armies retook parts of Sicily, and over the next thirty years, from 1061 until 1091, Christians are slowly retaking Sicily, okay? and that's important. Sicily was a breadbasket, uh, and that begins with the Norman—not uh, the one we knew before—but this guy's name is Roger the First. Uh, and it ends when the Normans, Robert and Roger Guisard, the ones I was telling you about, take Noto, the last Muslim stronghold there. So 1061, a Norman named Roger I started the conquest, reconquest of Sicily, Sicily, and it ended when the brothers Roger and Robert Guisard uh, took the last Muslim stronghold in 1091. So now Sicily is back in the Christian hands. Okay. Now, in 1063, the leader of the Seljuk Turks died. Um, and there was some hope that, as often happens, when steppe warriors lose their leader, they fall apart. Okay, uh, But no, this didn't happen. Uh, the violence against Armenia continued. Okay, So now we're going to jump ahead two years. So again, just to reestablish, Christians are at this point in the process of retaking Sicily. The Turks, the Seljuk Turks, are continuing their invasions into Armenia. Back in the West, starting in 1065, Christians begin to retake parts of Spain. It's going to take them 34 years. This is a crusade. By our definition of crusade, do we call it the first crusade? No, that's not how we've decided to use our language, right? And again, historians do this all the time. Think of the Roman emperors, right? Who was the first one? Augustus. No one called him Augustus. They called him Gaius, right? Uh, all these names we have for Roman emperors, no one called them that uh, at the time. But we needed some way to identify them because most of them had the same name. Gaius was a very common name. Uh, what's the one everyone knows? Caligula. If you called him Caligula, he killed you. He hated that name. It was a nickname given to him when he was a little boy. Caligula is a Latin word for little boots, right? And when he was a boy, he was raised in an army. And the soldiers loved him and spoiled him rotten, which was part of the reason he was psycho. Uh, and they made him little boots, little soldier boots. They made it like, you get what I'm saying? So they called him when he was a little boogly, Caligula, little boots. Uh, but as you can imagine, when he got older, he hated that. But we call him Caligula. You get me? Yeah. Okay. And nobody called them uh, Caesar or Augustus. They called them princeps, first citizen. 
because people were back then very interested in pretending there was a democracy of some sort, okay? Um, of course, by this time, I don't know, this is off topic, but real quick, right? Once you get to Diocletian, remember him? He changed the whole thing. And he, actually, I should have said this before. Diocletian introduced this idea, and it becomes uh, defining for the next thousand years, or more, a lot more, actually, now that I think about it, probably 1,500 years, that if you're king, it's because God picked you, right? He changed it. It used to be uh, princeps, uh, which was, again, a fake democracy. No, he just took the title Dominus, my lord, right? And, and changed the whole structure so that you don't meet with the, you don't meet with him, right? Uh, he's too, he's, he's not even human. He is divinely appointed. And it cut down on assassinations, which was the goal. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, so you look in Rome and you say the time of kings, there were seven kings of Rome. Then you have the time of the Republic, and then you have the fake Republic, uh, which we call the Imperium for the Latin word for general, Imperius. And then you get the Dominant, which is the time, uh, what's his butt ushered in, Diocletian. And the Dominant is uh, Dominus, the Lord, right? So the head of the Byzantine Empire, he was called my Lord, and they meant it. Okay. So Christians in 1065 started the process of reclaiming Spain, okay? And this is hellacious fights. Normans are involved. Everybody's involved. And they called it the Reconquistador. Uh, we're going to reconquer our land and deliver the Christians in Spain from the Muslim armies. It was also called a crusade because they were doing it for Christianity somewhat, okay? Now... When you get to 1067, the Seljuk Turks have taken Armenia in total, right? It's now completely under Turkish control, and they begin to push further into um, the Byzantine Empire. They also sent a group down to take Jerusalem from the Muslims there, okay? So you've got Muslims conquering Muslims. Uh, the Muslims conquered Jerusalem. Uh, killed a ton of the Christians, tore down the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, killed a crap ton of Jews. Well, then you get the Seljuk Turks who came and killed those Muslims and took Jerusalem for the Turks, the Seljuk Turks. We doing good? Yes. Okay. Oh, you know, I didn't look at what time we started. Can you tell me when we're at an hour? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, in 1071, the Byzantine emperor, a guy named Romanus IV, uh, tried to retake Armenia and was curb stomped, okay? Uh, again, these Turks were next level. Step warriors are unbeatable, okay? Uh, in 1073, Pope Gregory VII starts his reign as Pope of the Western Church, and he started to promote what's called the Gregorian Reform. Um, a lot is involved with that, a lot of it around Mass. Yeah, that's why we have Gregorian chant, because I am. And uh, he went to war with the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV. You're like, who's the Ro Holy Roman Emperor? I really don't want to get too deep into that hole. Uh, I think the quickest way to tell you is the Germanic, at the end of the run of Western Roman Empire, the Romans were ruled by very few Romans, 
a ton of Germans were at the top of the food chain. The Germanic tribes and the Romans started to mix and mingle in lots of different ways, and I don't want to get into it, right, because I'll be into it forever. But it, it, a ton of the Roman leaders, never the Caesar except one, I think, uh, all the leaders were Germans. They were tough warriors, they were smart, and the Romans liked how they did things, and Romans stopped having kids. The richer Romans got, the less kids they had. The less kids they had, the less battles they can win. The Germans, meanwhile, just keep having kids. And so they had huge armies, okay? So there you are. Now, what that led to is once the, Holy, once the Roman Empire collapsed in the West, you're always going to have these Frankish Germanic tribes who try to reestablish the Roman Empire in the West, and they'll call it the Holy Roman Empire. And the big joke has always been, right? If you know your history jokes, you know this one. The Holy Roman Empire was not holy, it was not Roman, and it was not an empire. <laughs> but it was always an attempt by these Germanic or Frankish kings to establish, we are the new Rome, okay? We're the new Rome. So when you hear that, just think of that, Germanic, Frankish, whatever you want to say. Um, so in 1074, Pope Gregory, now here is where we get to the first sniff of what we call the Crusades, namely Pope Gregory VII, contacted the patriarch and the king in the Byzantine Empire, right? And there's some real hate here between the two. And said, we will give you 50,000 Western troops to help you against the Seljuk Turks. This is a huge deal. Pope Gregory VII, yeah. And when you talk about 50,000, you might think, is that a lot? In that day and age, that's huge, right? He's offering to send the kitchen sink to the Eastern Empire, okay? The Byzantines, okay? Now, remember that. That was it. You don't have to remember the year, but it was 1074. But this is a big deal because when we get to the First Crusade, it's not what you think. This was not about retaking Jerusalem. It was about the West saying to the East, we'll help you against the Turks, okay? Isn't that crazy? But it's not going to happen for a while because everybody's got their pride. <laughs> yeah. In 1078, the Byzantine emperor was forced to abdicate. And I, I, I thought I'd get into it, and I, I, I just it kept taking us down a wormhole. So how's this? He abdicated. His name was Michael VII. There was no Michael VIII. He was forced to abdicate, and now the Byzantine Empire is in chaos. So the Pope's offer to help, the Pope's offer to send 50,000 Roman troops, or Western, we'll say, never really gets addressed here. It eventually will get addressed, and thus we get the First Crusade. Okay. So that's 1078, that Christian Byzantines are in chaos as they fight to see for the first time in a long time who's going to run this empire. It was clear to them before. Now it's not clear. Now, what happens in the West when they hear, oh no, our Eastern brothers are struggling? Well, Robert Guisard decides to attack. <laughs> okay, so he mounts this campaign against the Byzantines, not the Muslims, right? He's like, well, everybody else is kicking them. I might as well get some stuff out of the deal. And on April 1st of 1081, 
a really important guy, Alexis Kamenis. Come, come, I have trouble saying his name. Uh, takes control of the Byzantine Empire. And this guy is the man, okay? He inherited a collapsing empire that was in a constant state of warfare against the Turks in Asia Minor, the Normans in the Western Balkans. I mean, this guy is handed a god-awful mess. He curbed the Byzantine decline, and he began the military, financial, and territorial recovery. So the basis of that recovery by Alexis, Alexios, was a, a lot of reforms. He appealed to Western Europe for help against the Turks. And this, again, now you see what's happening? The East was offered Western troops and never really gave a clear answer back because they descended into chaos. Now he's writing the West and saying, you remember a few years ago when you offered us 50,000 troops, we really could use them. And eventually the West is gonna say, yes, we gotta have a Pope die first. And that's gonna be the first crusade. Um, at 37, uh, the 37 year reign of Alexios was just constant struggle. He faced the formidable attack by the Normans, led by our guy, right, Robert Gisar, and his brother. Uh, numerous towns and territories had been taken by him, so now Alexios has taken him back. He suffered a bunch of defeats at first, uh, but he was able, each battle, he learned something. And he started to get more and more success. How did he? I do love this. This is so slick. Uh, his resistance uh, to the Normans, like he was like, okay, these are hard battles and I keep losing guys. So what did he do? He contacted a German king named Henry IV and sent him, ready, 360,000 pieces of gold and said to the German king, why don't you go ahead and attack the Normans in Italy, right? Uh, so uh, he did, right? For 360,000 pieces of gold, the guy probably would have attacked his mom. Uh, but he goose-stepped on down to Italy and started mixing it up with the Normans. The Normans who are attacking the Byzantine Empire went crap and they had to go home and defend their borders. Uh, the Norman danger then subsided until the death of Gisard in 1085, and the Byzantines were able to take back everything they lost from the Normans. So uh, Alexios reigned until, get this, 1118. This guy had a 37-year run, and he was beast mode. He really was, Alexios, uh, God bless him. In 1085, the Christians retook Toledo, Right, which is uh, at that time, um, I was going to make a joke, <laughs> but it's Toledo in Spain. Just before it left, yeah. It left Michigan. Yeah, this was before the Michigan War. <laughs> uh, Christians retook Toledo in Spain, and at the same time, the Seljuk Turks conquered Antioch. So, remember, so you're wait, I thought the Muslims had Antioch. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> the Turks aren't interested in whether you're Christian or whether you're Muslim. They're interested in, will you submit to our leadership and pay taxes? Right? In fact, I believe they hired 80,000 IRS agents. Does that scare you? 
that scares me. Yeah. I don't know. And I never know what's fear tactics or what's real. But like all over the news this 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 last two days is like they put 80,000 more agents in the IRS. Sweet Lord. How hard is that to collect taxes from rich people? Because that's who you're going after, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Jerks. All right. Uh, so Christians t retook Toledo in Spain. And that's huge, guys. That's huge. And in the meantime, the Seljuk Turks took Antioch. Then in 1088, and this is big, Urban II was named Pope. And why is that big? Um, because he's the guy who's gonna call the first crusade. Again, what we call the crusade, they didn't. So now we get to March of 1095. Woohoo! Why is that important? Alexius wrote Pope Urban and asked him for help against the Turks. In November, Urban called for the First Crusade. Okay. Isn't this crazy? Yeah. So, <laughs> your First Crusade, do you hear it has nothing to do with Jerusalem? It has nothing to do with Israel? It's the Byzantine emperor saying, help, we're carrying all the battle on this side. And the West had been slowly, as you hear, retaking more and more chunks of their empire back from the Muslim conquests. And you get the Normans and they're just punching everybody. Well, in the meantime, the West is stabilized and the East is saying, help. And the Pope says, on our way. So how long have we gone? Because that's a good place to stop. That is not, oh, not 40 minutes yet. Oh, really? Yep. Boy, okay. Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm tempted, uh, you know, uh, well, how about if I do some general stuff? Sure. Okay. And tell me if I get repetitious no, or, or boring. Um, crusades is this general term, what we're going to now call the Crusades, for a series of battles between Muslims and Christians in and around the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Land. <clears throat> it's a, a key thing for us to remember that when we talk about the first three crusades or so. They are a totally different reality than the next bunch. Um, if you agreed to fight in the first crusade, you were agreeing to lose money, to lose property. Um, this was a noble sacrifice on the part of Christians. They were gaining nothing except helping. So picture it this way. Let's say my dad is king of a small area in Germany. For his, and actually this will be good to use, I was going to use this time for the next one, but dad might have, let's say it's a small kingdom, okay? What dad might have is a number of what you and I would call serfs, namely he owns thousands of acres and people are working that land and sending him the produce and in, and in keeping enough to eat for themselves. And in exchange, what dad's doing is then raising up a group of men that we'll call knights. And their job was to protect those people. So what you got was protection and law and order. And in exchange, the king got a significant tax base and he got his lands worked. Okay. Now for this to work, his knights need to be tough and strong and skilled. And make no mistake, 
nights were. Uh, people at this time, and I know I've said this before, stick with me, you can't fathom how tough they were, how strong they were, how uh, simple their lives were in many ways. Uh, when you talk about, uh, what's his name, who wrote the, um, he wrote a seven book series on the Hundred Years War, and he used all these different uh, things about knights wearing 60 pounds of armor and doing backflips off their horses. Right? These guys were freaks, and they were freaks because nobody lived that long. You were hungry most of the time. Uh, you were, uh, like, you always see them walking around with their swords in their sheaths, right? They never had their swords in their sheaths. By the time you take it out, you're dead. They carried their swords in their hand wherever they walked. It was that violent and unusual of a time. Uh, the law was made by the king. So what's the law today? Well, what does the king say it is? Laws can change from day to day. Knights were the constant. And the constant was that they were professionals, they were brutal, and they were good at what they do. Uh, one knight could equal 10 of another army. They were skilled in more. They were trained in more. That's what they thought about. That's what they dreamt of. So again, dad's got this little empire, right, of people who are giving him a tax base. And let's say he's a very good king. So he takes good care of them. His people are happy. That happened, believe it or not, that there were serfs who lived in pretty good circumstances considering the context. And what they knew is if anyone from that kingdom over there screwed with their farm, dad would send his knights to whoop their butts. And so dad had a vested interest in a tough core of knights. Knights were expensive and hard to get. So it's not like he had a million of them. For his thing to work, he needs to be there. He needs to have control over his knights. He needs to have his knights there. Uh, we making sense? Yeah? Yes, yes. Now, imagine a bishop comes to dad's house and says, we need your help. Well, of course, what do you need? You need all of your knights, and we need you to have enough food and supplies stored up where you and your knights can travel halfway across the known world to go fight for. And we'll and we'll never ever deal with. Okay. What is the benefit he would have? None. And in the meantime, his little kingdom is left wide open. Now that works if the king next to him goes too. You with me? When you hear about them, oh, they were heading off for gold. Some of them were in the last few crusades. But in the first few crusades, this was volunteering to suffer greatly. Um, and they did it. They did it. A great many, uh, particularly France. France sent more knights than, than anybody would have thought possible. And when you see, like you might see some of these battles, what well, was uh, 15,000 Christians versus uh, 50,000 uh, Muslim. Yeah, but those were 50,000 farmers who picked up swords against 15,000 men who started off life learning to fight. swords and people died 
uh, you get me? A knight was an incredibly valuable and powerful thing. And dad, in this case, is willing to part with all of them for an idea. We're going to go help those guys. There was no thought of ruling anything. There was no thought of coming home with plunder. Um, now, that's the good part. The bad part is you always have bad people. One of the reasons they said France sent so many knights is because they had too many, to some extent, not, not in a cynical way. Uh, France sent knights because everyone else did to go help. But make no mistake, knights with no problems were a problem. If there's no one for a knight to fight, he'll find a problem. He'll make a problem. And it was becoming an issue in this part of Europe where all of a sudden we've got peace and you've got a whole generation of warriors who have, uh, what do you do now? Well, work a farm. What? Yeah. Or they'll work the farm, just kick back here. They can't do it. Uh, their whole life is about war. And they were cases of them inflicting horrors. So who did the kings send? Well, if they had too many, again, not like my dad's example, but a uh, king of a huge thing, well, you send the jerks. You send the guys you don't want wandering around your area causing problems. Also, who else went on crusade? Non-knights. Uh, what do they call them? They had a great word. It was something like scallions. Um, Rat scallions, something like this. Yeah, they had a great term, in it, and it's not coming to me. But the unscrupulous people, and you're going to see the first crusade, some really bad stuff happens because this is an army of people not led by one king, led by about 40 of them. And no one's quite clear who's in charge. And there are some real unscrupulous people involved. More people die on the way to the crusade than in the crusade. <laughs> Which, holy crap. So this whole idea that you're sold usually comes from the last two, three, four crusades of men looking for glory and gold and power. The first three, no, we need to save our Christian brothers and sisters. We need to save, help the Byzantines against this monstrous tsunami called the Tur uh, Seljuk Turks. Um, there was a nobility and a goodness in a lot of what they were striving for. The execution of it, as you're going to hear next time, it's a bit of a disaster, okay, particularly the First Crusade. So that, how are we for time? Uh, that's, I think, as far as we'll go today. Is it too short? No. No? Okay. Well, uh, I hope you found this helpful. Uh, I'm surprised at how quick I got through this. This was a long time of research, but I guess I was a little more compact than I worried about. I worried we weren't going to get to the First Crusades for a week. I did. Um, uh, so what we'll do next is we'll look at the first crusade. What we got to go, what? The first crusade, we've got the second crusade, the third crusade, the fourth crusade, the fifth crusade, and then the great crusade. And again, uh, which is the sixth and the seventh. Um, and then the crusades end. And almost oddly randomly, but we'll go through why that happened. Um so there we go. If you want to prep for the next show, again, kind of keep your eye on that map uh, and try to see 
that breakdown. And we're going to focus on the Middle East next, because after the first crusade, it definitely shifts to what we call Israel now, what we call Jordan, what we call um, all that. It, it's going to shift down there. Um, so, yay. Whew. We did all right today, yeah. didn't we? Okay, good. So thank you so much for tuning in. And again, with all of my heart, thank you for your support. I got to tell you guys, this is like last week's letters and cards. I I've got so many. I don't know how to thank you. Um, my gosh, I, I don't deserve this much support and affection and kindness. Uh, and I hope you know I don't take it for granted. I, you've obviously noticed I haven't been sending thank you cards like I like to. Um, I just haven't. Uh, uh, we will, we will. Um, so again, please don't hesitate to share our podcast. Um, one of the things that does help us a lot as in terms of the podcast, if you subscribe and follow us on whatever podcast service you use, that helps us a lot, to be honest. And any kind of reviews you can write are really helpful. If you hate the show, uh, do not write a review. Write one for a different show. Write one for a show you like. <clears throat> but there it is. And keep calling Heinz. Maybe they'll send us a million bucks. Yes. Wouldn't it be a weird sponsor? Because it's not like, I don't know, it's like when I see furniture stores, I'm like, are that many people buying furniture? Like, I buy a chair, and I go till it dies. And I'm a fat man, so it takes less time than you'd think. But it's not like I'm buying a chair every year. No, but if every... Buddy buys a chair for every time. I know, but look how many furniture stores there are. Holy crap. <laughs> like, you can't need that many chairs and beds. What do I know? So... <laughs> Okay. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. And uh, I really want to tell them the joke about the three guys and the genie. That was funny. Can I tell you guys a joke? We have time, right? Yeah, we have a little okay. Time. It's a long joke. I'll hurry it as much as I can. Don't rush. Don't rush? So there's three. There's these three guys, and they're walking together uh, on this trail, and they see this shiny thing, and they pick it up, and, of course, a genie pops out. And the genie's like, I've been in here for a thousand years. You each get three wishes. Okay, so the first guy says, uh, I want a billion dollars. And immediately his phone pings, and it's his bank saying, a billion dollars has been deposited your account. Wow, second guy, well, I want to be the richest man in the world. Bing, thing pops up on his note. He has $400 billion. Uh, and the third guy says, you know what I want? I want my right arm to just rotate clockwise all the time. Right? And he's like, okay. So then we go back to the first guy. What do you want? You know, I want to be married to a wonderful woman who, who loves me uh, and we have a great marriage together. And poof, there she is on his arm. And he's just happy as can be. Second guy says, man, I, I want to be attractive to all women. And the genie, poof, you know. And the gal who's on the first guy's arm, she kind of starts checking him out. Holy cow. Third guy says, okay, I want my left arm to constantly rotate counterclockwise. And he's like, okay. So now that guy's standing there, you know, he's doing this. So they go back to the first guy. Uh, well, what do you want? What's your last wish? You know, I would like to be healthy uh, and my wife to be healthy for the rest of our natural life. I'd love for us to live to a ripe old age as healthy people. Jeannie Dunn. And immediately you can see they both just look like their faces, great color. Second guy, he says, I want to stay this age 
forever. Genie, done. Same thing, he looks great. Third guy, I want my head to bob up and down all the time. Genie's like, okay. So before the genie leaves, you know, they agree we should meet in a few years and see how we're doing. So three years later, they all get back together. And the first guy says, boy, I'm so happy. My wife's amazing. We, we've already got kids uh, and I can give as much money as is needed away. And I still have a ton of money. You know, and the second guy says, I'm powerful. I have all the money in the world. I can crush my enemies. I can buy what I want. You know, I got a great life. And the third guy says, you know, fellas, it's funny. I'm starting to think I really screwed it up. <laughs> so that's my joke. I think that's the best joke ever. And on that, we should probably pray for all of you damaged by that joke. Sincerely, do you think that's a great joke? I do too. You wait for this epic point and it's just like, I think I might have really screwed this up. All right, salad prey. Oh, and don't forget, tomorrow's show, right? We're re-showing a best of from the question and answer. And that'll be the last time we do that for a bit, unless I die. Stop. Well, I could. I could get hit by a cement truck. You said you weren't going to say that anymore. Okay, struck by lightning. Didn't that just happen? Yeah. Man. Well, I probably shouldn't joke. Like, real people died, right? Right. Oops. Okay, never mind. What else would I want then? Eaten by a shark. No, okay, that'd be that awful. Would, yeah, that would be bloody. And... Yeah, that'd be ouch. Crushed by a piano falling from a roof. Here you go. Of uh, a uh, building. Fair enough. Just. <laughs> On a C note. Yes. Go out with music. Okay. Anyway, salad pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, thank you so much. Um, for your work in our lives. And Lord, as, as we look at the mess we humans can make of things, help us to strive to be selfless. Help us to strive, Lord, not to gain for ourselves treasure that rots away, but in your words, to seek treasure that lasts forever, treasure that is you. Father, for any of the sins of our church against our Muslim brothers and sisters, we ask your forgiveness. For all of the sins against our Jewish brothers and sisters, we ask forgiveness. We're so sorry. And for the sins committed against us, we forgive, Lord. Help us to learn to strive for peace, not a peace that denies conflict, but a peace that comes from understanding that things take time. And until that day, when we're all together as one, may we live lives of love and goodness and prayer and service and selflessness. I ask, Lord, that you bless our travels. We've got some big trip coming up here. Keep us safe. And Lord, we ask for your protection on our Christian brothers and sisters in Nigeria. We ask for you to please be with the people in Ukraine. We ask for you to please bring peace. 
Lord, you know those people we love so much and we worry about, and you know all the circumstances that we fret about. We give all of them to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you guys, no, not tomorrow. I'll see you next week. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.